Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Into the Borough podcast here on the Borough Reviews Network. My name is Jared, and today we have got a great show for you. First off on our news section, we are going to be tackling the Witcher drama, the casting shakeup that has literally shocked almost everyone I know. Uh, Then later in the episode, we're going to be talking about the Friday the 13th prequel series coming from Brian Fuller on Peacock. And then uh, we're going to be talking about A Quiet Place Day One which is going to be a prequel, obviously, takes place on the first day of the alien invasion, and it stars Lupita Nyong'o, so I'm really excited about that. And uh, yeah, you may be noticing um, I'm having a few problems with my voice right now, so I apologize uh, if I misspeak or if it doesn't sound the best, but I wanted to still get an episode out for everyone, so apologies in advance. My breathing is a little bit labored. I don't have covid Uh, I did take a test, and I don't have COVID, but I'm not entirely sure what it is. I suspect a sinus infection. So once again, just bear with me for one week as my voice sounds like absolute garbage. Um, Later in the episode, we're talking to Megan. Uh, She is back on the podcast, and we are going to break down stop-motion animation and review Jordan Peele and Henry Selleck's latest, Wendell and Wild. Um, It's directed by Henry Selleck and stars Jordan Peele, uh, who also produces under the banner of Monkey Paw Productions. Finally, I'll be giving you a quick breakdown of some of the things that you can look forward to in the month of November, both in theaters, streaming, and on TV. If you would like to support our show, consider joining the crew by subscribing to our Patreon. Every dollar counts towards commission for our contributors and improving our network. Membership to our Patreon grants you different perks, depending on what part of the crew you opt into. If you're someone who likes behind-the-scenes content, our director's crew has access to a close friends group on Instagram, as well as a Discord server and, of course, Twitter circles. Meanwhile, the producer crew is gifted discounted merch codes and exclusive video discussions, reviews, and vlogs. For executive producers that go above and beyond, we send a little special care package their way as a way to say thanks. Whether you're looking to gain early access to video content or listen to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, Close Up with the Borough Reviews, you can find it all on our Patreon page. Membership is a critical metric that we use to indicate the success of our network, and we know that we can count on you for some support. Head over to patreon.com slash theboroughreviews to sign up. The Borough Reviews, your movie refuge. This week's headlines come from Variety, Deadline, and Bloody Disgusting. As she readies to make her return to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Lupita Nyong'o is looking to make the jump to another popular franchise. Sources tell Deadline that she is in final negotiations to star in Paramount's A Quiet Place Day 1. The spin-off will be directed and written by Pig Helmer, Michael Sarnowski. Not much more is known about the project other than it not being a threequel, but rather a spin-off based on the idea from John Krasinski who directed and starred in the first two films. 
The hope is that this film will set up a potential Quiet Place universe that the studio can build on for years to come. The film is currently set to release on March 8, 2024. It has now been a full 13 years since the release of the last Friday the 13th movie with the franchise trapped in a messy legal battle ever since. Variety has made the hugely surprising announcement today that Peacock has ordered up Crystal Lake, a Friday the 13th prequel series from Brian Fuller of Hannibal fame. The craziest part of this huge news? A24 will serve as the studio behind the series, and Peacock has given the project a straight-to-series order with Crystal Lake being described as a, quote, expanded prequel to the original Friday the 13th franchise. The Witcher has been renewed for a fourth season by Netflix, though the hit fantasy series will be missing one familiar face. Henry Cavill will exit the production after the upcoming third season debuts. The streamer announced the renewal and casting news on Saturday afternoon, with both Hemsworth and Cavill also releasing statements. Henry Cavill said, quote, My journey as Geralt has been filled with both monsters and adventures, and alas, I will be laying down my medallion and my swords for season four. Meanwhile, Liam Hemsworth put out a statement reading, quote, As a Witcher fan, I'm over the moon about the opportunity to play Geralt. Henry Cavill has been an incredible Geralt, and I'm honored that he's handing me the reins and allowing me to take up the White Wolf's blades for the next chapter of his adventure. The show's upcoming third season, which has a set release window of summer 2023, will now be the actor's last with the series. And now we get into the weekly box office recap, and we have a lot to talk about here. Uh, not as much as what's happening in the theater as what's happening to Terrifier 2 from the theater. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later, but first I just wanted to report that Black Adam, while it opened with a $67 million opening, its second weekend had a drop of a 59% decline to $27.7 million, and that's a slightly steeper drop than projections had coming in around $29-30 million. It's not surprising that it had too much of a drop, as I feel like a lot of the hype for the film was surrounding that post credit scene and that tease leading up to the film, and everyone who is going to see that film has probably already seen it. The diehard fans certainly have, and so that second weekend drop doesn't quite surprise me, but you know, going forward it is supposed to be phase one of James Gunn's DCU. But the bigger story actually comes from how much Terrifier 2 continues to slash its way into the box office bank. And yes, we're talking about Art the Clown making his maniacal return, dismembering his victims in gory fashion in Terrifier 2. And while Terrifier 2 may have been made on a low budget, you better believe it's earning so much more back in box office sales. On a minimal budget of $250,000, Terrifier 2 made 30 times more of its budget back in box office money. And according to Box Office Mojo, this gross-out slasher made $403,000 on its opening day on October 6th. Then, in its first weekend, it made $805,000. Two weeks later, the original sequel ended up reaching the million-dollar peak at just a little over a million. This is a 20% increase, an over 20% increase actually, a 28% increase, which is shocking not only because of the low budget, but because of its lack of promotions. 
from initially opening in 770 theaters to playing currently at 1500 terrifier 2 has earned 1.8 million this past weekend and has made a total of 7.6 million to date reports came out uh you know a few weeks ago about fans vomiting during the movie and horror fans just couldn't help but wonder what the big deal was about so it's not surprising that we've seen kind of this gradual uptick so while you have you know a considerable steep second week drop for black adam terrifier 2 continues to make money but of course you know it was the halloween season and everyone needed to know what the phenomenon was going on with terrifier 2 and why people were getting sick in that bedroom scene and that concludes your last week's news update Hey, we have our own YouTube channel. That's where we upload video reviews of the latest TV shows and movies, stream some gaming content on occasion, and just recently we've started doing in-depth video essay analysis. We have a goal to reach 400 subscribers by the end of the year, and right now we are about 300 subs away from reaching that goal. We'd like to celebrate by doing something special for our followers if we reach our goal, and we'll rely on you to help us decide what we end up doing. To find us, simply go to youtube.com slash Reviews. Make sure to not only subscribe if you like the content, but to give the video a like and ring the bell to make sure you receive notifications when we upload or go live. The Burr Reviews, your movie refuge. Megan, welcome back to the show. Uh, it's been a while. What have you been watching recently? I tried to really dive into everything that Spooky Season had to offer. Um, so uh, once the uh, House of the Dragon finale left a huge hole in my heart, I was watching The Midnight Club, which I really enjoyed. Um, and I finished most of the Cabinet of Curiosities episodes. I've been watching them with uh, my husband, Riley, and he's been he has a like very... Uh, crazy schedule. So whenever we can get to it, we try to watch as many as we can. I watched the first three episodes without him, and especially the third episode. Um, oh my gosh, uh, who's that director? I don't know if you know this off the top of your head. This maybe is unfair to just hit you with, but uh, the one who directed The Empty Man. Oh, um, no, I know what you're talking about. I don't know off the top of my head though either. I would have to look it up. I, I can't remember either, but he directed the third episode called The Autopsy, and that shit got me. I was like jittery the whole night. It was crazy. So then I was like, oh my gosh, Riley, you have to watch this with me. It's terrifying. And then the next two episodes are fantastic, but they're very different tonally. So he was just looking at me like, oh, okay, babe. Like, <laughs> no, really, so scary. So I don't know. It was, it's, it's really good. Highly, highly recommend it. But yeah, I don't know. Other than that, visiting family and uh trying to catch up on all my favorite things nice nice yeah i'm in the same boat uh it's funny you mentioned that because um anna lily amapore actually directs an episode and i'm not sure which episode it is in cabinet of curiosities but i love a girl watch uh, walks home alone at night like absolutely love that movie um just such subtle black and white filmmaking and photography and like I really appreciate what that movie did. And I actually just showed Ren that last week um, for the first time. So she got to watch it, but she has an episode in there and I'm not sure which one it is, but I've heard good things. 
That was actually the one we watched. She does this one about this girl who like watches like a hand cream ad. And mm. I won't spoil anything, but it was it was really cool. But yes, that was her episode. We watched that one. So highly recommend. Also has Daniel Stevens in it, which was a, he he has like barely any lines, but it's a fun role for him. I don't know. It just struck mm. me as really fun. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I have to get into that. And I also haven't started the Midnight Club. So I've also I've got a I've got a list of things on my docket. I am catching up on Andor. I was behind a few weeks. So I'm getting caught up on Andor. And then I'll probably head out to the theaters this weekend to watch Tar and Black mm-hmm. Adam. Uh, I may be even going to film streams here in Omaha to go see Decision to Leave. Um, if not, I'll catch it next week when it opens. But um I really want to uh, make sure I'm keeping up with all of my Oscar fare this year. I feel like in years past, I haven't done as good of a job, specifically last year. I usually catch at least 70 or 80% of all the films that are nominated. And last year, I swear I was at like no more than 50%. Like it was bad. And so I'm making a point this year, you know, Kate Blanchett's in the conversation. Um, right. There's a lot of things happening in that world and November is like the time when all of that kind of sparks. So I need to make sure that I stay on top of it. What's the premise for a decision to leave? Like tar has been on my radar, but I don't think that I'd heard of that one. Yeah. So decision to leave. Um, it's, it's almost like a, like a thriller. It's like, a it's like a crime thriller in a sense. Uh, you have this detective who's like investigating and, um, I'm not sure exactly what happens. It's one of those movies where like, it kind of starts as one thing and then it ends as a completely different thing, you know, like things like Parasite that start in a very, you know, one note kind of direction and then take a sharp left turn at some point. It's um, it's one of those stories that kind of will probably just have its ebbs and flows. So I don't know entirely all what that plot's going to entail, um, but I do know it's going to be kind of like a little bit unsettling crime thriller with some comedic elements to it which i always love foreign films have a way of and i mean foreign to uh, you know classical american hollywood cinema um they have this tendency to kind of go off the rails sometimes in the most weird and fascinating directions um and i always love to see when that happens so i think that's going to be another movie that kind of dips into that kind of feed a little bit which uh always is exciting for me um But we are here today to talk about stop motion animation um, because there has been kind of an uptick this year. Um, Fascinating. I hadn't even heard of some of the things that have come out of this year, but obviously we had Wendell and Wilde just release on Netflix for the holiday weekend of Halloween. And then we also have Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio coming out a little bit later this year. Um, So I guess, you know, when you think about stop motion animation and kind of its inception and how long it's been around, you had the first animated short in stop motion form back in the late 1800s, you know, at the cusp of the 1900s. And then um, most notably, I think one of the things that I remember from my childhood was the stop motion bits of the 1933 King Kong. Um, And that was probably my first introduction to it. Um, So I'm just curious, like what are, some highlights for you in the stop motion animation world that have kind of been on your radar over the past few years? Uh, as far as the past few years, huh? Let me think. Um, I loved Kubo and the Two Strings. Um, I've obviously like um, Corpse Bride, Fantastic Mr. Fox. 
um, Isle of the Dogs, uh, mm. and a couple of those. The ones I grew up with, though, like I remember watching James and the Giant Peach when I was probably too little. Um, I remember crying by the end of it because I thought it was so creepy. Um, <laughs> also, Chicken Run. Did you see that movie? Yep, Chicken I... Run and Wallace and Gromit were the Wallace two that. Gromit, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, they're the two that stick out to me the most uh, from my childhood. Other than that little section, you know, of from that little section, it's a big part of the 1933 King Kong. But yeah. right, and the like. Did you did your family ever like tune into like the the ABC's like 25 Days of Christmas with all the like. The Rudolphs, the Year Without a Santa Claus, Jack Jack Frost was my favorite because tragic love story. That was my shit. Um, but just yeah, those were the ones I grew up with. And then finding more, like as I've gotten older and kind of dug into it, went down a rabbit hole today. Uh, and honestly, like <laughs> found so much more uh, titles and stuff that have been made by like smaller creators and everything. Since like stop motion isn't. Like, you don't need a huge budget to do it, which I think is really cool. Like, it's just a more democratized art form. Um, like, I think next spooky season, I'm honestly really inspired because, like, I found so many, like, YouTube shorts of just, like, these artists and creators coming up with, like, the coolest, um, like, mini horror movies, you know, that are that are stop motion. Um, so I think, yeah, next year I'm going to dive into a couple of those just because I think it's like just such a really, really cool art from, do you have, what are your favorites from like recent and I don't know, jogging your memory from more that you've seen when you were yeah. younger? Yeah. I really like, uh, Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. Um, coincidentally, that was the first movie to, uh, get like, I think the PG 13 rating for a stop motion film. Yeah, no, I think Isle of Dogs is the most recent one that I had watched. Um, but, you know, that's an art form that, sure, like you said, it's democratized in the sense that it doesn't take as many materials to actually make that happen. And by materials, I mean specifically money in terms of, you know, how much money you're spending on actually making films like that. But it does <laughs> take a lot of time. And yeah. it takes a huge development team to kind of work on. Um, I remember, I think, you know, you're looking at most of the time anywhere between 30 to 100 animators for these things. Um, and that's just a huge team working on things tediously. It's a very tedious art form. Um, but it's so well worth it for a lot of these genres. Um, and I, I think most notably we've seen it a lot in, in kind of obscure horror um, and it's really manifested there. I think, you know, obviously the most popular example is Henry Selick's Nightmare Before Christmas, right? I think if you were to stop anyone on the street and ask them, what's the first thing that comes to mind with stop motion? They're probably going to say that. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that you can really use that art form to kind of mold into a really fascinating horror movie. Um, because it, there's already something so obscure and strange about the way that stop motion and the way we perceive stop motion on screen. Um, it feels strange. It feels wrong. But yeah. when we're watching something like that in the guise of horror, it totally is just like the perfect pairing, um, honestly, for me. And so, um, yeah, and we'll get into talking about Wendell and Wild here in a little bit. But I just, I guess I kind of wanted to know, you know, your thoughts on what uh, stop motion can do in the horror realm. And if like maybe stop motion 
at at some points can kind of go into different genres and what are some of the things that you look forward to when watching stop motion so i think it's really interesting that like maybe the the two main areas of uh, titles at least that are known and maybe have a cult following are like, you know, the, the children's stories. And then you have horror on the complete other end of the spectrum. Um, I, I've heard like the, the uncanny like hypothesis for like aesthetics, right? Where something's like lifelike, but not so lifelike that it makes you uncomfortable, but still not lifelike enough to pass as like, Oh, you know, whatever human, like um, that stop motion kind of, falls within that little area where you're just automatically like unnerved by it because it's something that should be um, like images and shapes and textures that shouldn't be moving in those ways. And yet, you know, there's like that, that jerkiness, that imperfection of being moved by like, you know, people's hands for hours and hours, frame by frame. Um, And then, yeah, like kind of kept like for the children's stories, I think it's really interesting because like, I don't know if it's used because like it resonates more with kids, like as far as like the Christmas stories and stuff go, because like our first practice at telling stories was taking our toys, you know, and animating them and having them tell our stories and project onto them. I don't know if that's why like that appeals more. And that's why it was used in like children's television format for like years Mm -hmm. and years. Um, Because that was something I was kind of looking into when I was, yeah, following this stop motion animation rabbit hole to its conclusion, just how many like children's shows it was used in. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like a really interesting correlation. Um, And I think it uses uh, like that familiar format that a lot of us grew up with and then turns it on its head as an adult with, you know, some of this more um, horrific content. Yeah, that's super interesting. You know, I didn't even think about it that way that, you know, a lot of how, because I, 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 I dipped into screenwriting and telling score, stories when I was a kid. Like I had, you know, just general notebook paper. And when I was like nine or 10, I would sit down and write dialogue and write, you know, lines of dialogue and stories and characters and all of this. And, um, and obviously a large part of that came from my need to try and make stories with, you know, toys and stuff when I was growing up. And then it just, as I got older, it transitioned to the page. And uh, I think that's really interesting that you bring that up in terms of, you know, we tell stories kind of in stop motion format at such an early age. And then you think about how, you know, it resonates with like a younger audience. And I think one of the more exciting things about stop motion is the fact that we're able to kind of break that immersion. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a layer of of certainty that this isn't reality. And that kind of permits us to do things that you typically wouldn't get to do in, in stories. So for children's movies, when you're thinking about like Santa Claus and you're thinking about the Easter bunny and you're thinking about all these different things that we don't experience in real life. Sorry to break the news to you. Um, (laughs) any, any kids watching. Um, but I think when you think about how it breaks that immersion, Uh, of reality, um, I think it's the perfect tool to use for children's films and um, just stories that aren't centered in in reality, really. Um, I think it's the perfect medium. And not to mention that when you start dipping into the non-children films like the horror movies and stuff, the same thing applies. It it grants you that, that kind of space to think and imagine outside of your own existence as to what can be possible. So, um, you know, as we talk about Wendell and Wild here, you know, bringing demons into our reality 
how do you make that work? You know, you can have, sure, you can have like a goofy movie like Insidious or, you know, which I actually quite like Insidious. Um, but it kind of takes it to a new level when you put it in the guise of stop motion because stop motion's already so off-putting that it kind of just adds to that flavor and that overall feel and that nightmare feeling that horror movies are supposed to grant us. I really like, so I don't know if you saw this or, you know, we were talking about it being like a bigger year for stop motion with Pinocchio. There was also Marcel, the shell with shoes on, which I haven't seen, but I heard really good things about. But Netflix earlier this year as well dropped The House, which was like a, like an anthology series. It was like whatever, you know, uh, like uh, metacriticism on capitalism and stuff, which I honestly really enjoyed. It was unnerving. And then like, just to kind of like, I don't know, differentiate its kind of film catalog because, you know, I feel like so many Netflix properties in particular, like you could, again, it's built for autoplay. It's built for shuffle. A lot of these things have very similar feel and look where a stop motion just grabs your attention right away. And I really do think that like Wendell and Wilde and the house, like they have this imagery and they have this art style that does just get your attention and makes it stand out from everything else that you could choose from to watch. Yeah, and uh, and I didn't watch Marcel the Shell with shoes on either, but um, I remember it being memed like crazy all over the internet for the week that it was in limited release. Um, like literally, everyone was talking about it. People that I know that aren't as invested in the world of film were like, "Hey, have you heard of this? Like, what is this? What what is this movie?" Right. Um, and so it was really fun to kind of hear that from people that normally wouldn't be tuned into things like that. Um, and I think again, you know, it, it adds to the wonkiness and the weirdness, um, but you can use it effectively in order to tell a really compelling story. And, uh, that's, I feel like what we got with Wendell and Wilde, um, which for those of you that don't know, well, Wendell and Wilde is actually directed by Henry Selleck, not Tim Burton. Um, (laughs) let's just clear that up right off the bat. Um, and Wendell and Wilde also reunites Key and Peele, so Jordan Peele and Keegan-Michael Key, as a pair of demons who basically barter uh, to get their way back into the real world so that they can start up their own adventure. And I won't kind of get into the details of that, but they kind of, you know, go after this young girl who's 13 to try and get her to be manipulated in a way that they can actually come into the reality um, that they want to be in in order to create their fantasy land. And uh, it's a really interesting um, look at kind of anger. I think I I got a lot of anger from that movie, but it's anger that's directed in a way that doesn't feel menacing, if that makes sense. Um, So I guess right off the bat, like what are your overall thoughts on Wendell and Wilde and kind of what did you enjoy about it? Art style, attention grabbing. Um, I thought it was fabulous. Uh, the soundtrack fucking slapped. Uh, it was fantastic. There was particularly like a song right at the beginning when they're kind of like going through like the first hell scenes where I was like, damn, this has got to be added to like someone's Halloween playlist next year because it's just solid. <laughs> um, I thought it was really cool. I loved how um, there were a lot of like subplots that were tied, like nothing was forgotten by the end of the story. I think I would have liked for some of those subplots to just like have a little more room and time to breathe. But overall, yeah, I just, I really liked it. I thought the message was really sweet. It had a lot to say and I feel like it didn't come across. Um, I, th- I felt like I'd said it, you know, very poignantly. Um, 
and yeah, it was it was a very fun watch. It, it's a nice addition to the Halloween stop motion repertoire. There were moments though that I forgot that it was PG thirteen rating. I remember sitting there like, oh my god, wait, this is like isn't this a kids show? And I was like, oh no, wait, it's PG thirteen. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I forgot. Afterwards. Funny thing about that, this is I think the like it's only like the second like PG thirteen like stop motion film. Um, so it's like, this doesn't happen very often with these kinds of films. And Henry Selick in a, in an interview was actually talking about how that was very intentful. So he explained that quote, so I feel like I have to compete with, well, if kids are actually watching these things, meaning like on the internet and stuff, uh, that are meant for older audiences, I think I should also put in a little bit of older sense because these kids will want to see that. So it's almost like he is shifting with the times and what was once, you know, thought of to be like a pretty safe, like, I guess, bet on rating. He's now having to adjust his sense of style to kind of match the maturity of kids these days, which I think is a fascinating take on like Internet culture overall. Um, But I think those moments that you speak of where you kind of forget and then something happens and you're like, oh, wow, like that just happened. Um, very intentful and very purposeful on, on Henry Selick's part to do that mostly for, you know, the audiences that are, that are going to watch this film. And I think, you know, when you, when you kind of think of the demographic, I think we're in the 12 to 15, 16 kind of range with the demographic of a film like this. Um, but I think it also extends beyond that. Um, I think that there are a lot of themes in Wendell and Wild that can be, paired with almost anyone over the age of 12 like honestly um and there are some really surprising moments in there and at the end of the day honestly uh it's definitely not something that you want your young young kids to watch uh has a little bit different of a feel than a nightmare before christmas or even Coraline. and Coraline started to get into that more obscure kind of feeling too as well um, but this feels entirely different from that. And Peel and Selick made it very intentional that that was going to be the case. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think that this is definitely going to be one that people come back to every Halloween. I, I don't know if it'll quite hit that fame, that level of fame that, that we have from like, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas or Coraline. But I definitely feel like it's a strong contender to be up there. I had a little bit of an issue with the pacing honestly Mm -hmm. um it's so this movie is a little over an hour and 40 minutes and it goes by pretty fast which i'm okay with the time like in fact if you can make a movie an hour and 20 minutes and make it sharp and attentful and have every scene in there be very purposeful and direct um i think you can have a really tight script and a really tight film that actually is solid at the adverse of that sometimes i feel like we need to let things breathe a little bit more And with the pace of this film, I feel like there were so many moments where we could have gotten such bigger character arcs than we did if we had just let it write out the full story without completely writing it off right away. Um, Without spoiling anything, obviously, uh, that's, I think, my overall gripe with it. But I do think it's still a really solid one and one that I would probably still give like a seven or eight out of 10. So it's solid for sure. Yeah. I was, I was honestly going to give it an eight and a half. It's honestly so nice to see um, like the, the key and peel chemistry duo, like back for an extended amount of time. Like yeah. they obviously are low key, the, the soul of the film too. It's, it's yeah. just fun. Well, and they're animated to look exactly like them too. Right? 
to like it's like a character of them and i love it i love that choice and it was a very intentional choice to make it look like them um and some of the things that they do like i said they kind of subvert that pg rating uh for pg-13 and i feel like you know while henry sell kind of realizes that you know that's kind of where we're heading with you know audiences and how young kids are now you know more mature because they're seeing things online this movie has very big implications of the not only the gentrification but also like the suburbanization of like our cities right and the industrial complex and yes the prison pipeline yeah exactly it's playing on very like mature themes and i like that about that not saying that you can't have something that's just as thematic with a pg rating because you certainly can like there are several instances of things that are children's shows or children's movies that you know adults are going to be like wait up oh that's a little too real life for me that that should be rated r um so it, it does happen but i feel like uh, Peel has such a way of doing it that's attached to the story and where the story is going and making everything purposeful. Um, so I do like that about Wendell and Wild. Uh, critics seem to like it too. Right now, it's sitting at an 80% on the tomato meter with an audience score of 72. So this is one where I think audiences and critics both are kind of at the same place with it overall, um, which is nice to see. It doesn't always happen. Uh, do you have any like final lingering thoughts with Wendell and Wild? Anything that's on your mind with it? Uh, no, I just hope that we see more of like this kind of like unique standout work um, and would love to see, you know, the Key and Peele duo in, in another format as well. Yeah. Um, final thing. Uh, we didn't talk about it. Uh, what would you like to see out of like stop motion? Like, is there anything that you're like dying to like take a bite of with the stop motion style? I was thinking about this. I would love to see like... Um, like maybe more accurate like fairy tale collection or folklore that's covered in stop motion just because or even like satire with surrealist elements i don't know if you remember in sorry to bother you but there's a commercial that's all stop motion and it's such a standout like Mm -hmm. what three minutes like i think you could even incorporate that more into like live action pieces and stuff like that i mean like vfx artists are have like so much strain put on them right now as it is and like there's more and more call for like oh let's go back to practical it looks better it feels better you know like let's try to incorporate that in some small ways and then yeah i'd like i'd love to see surreal stories dark folklore and fairy tales um covered in in stop motion i think that would be absolutely fabulous I that, that is show. a great answer because i was thinking um and i know it's not stop motion but do you remember that scene in book smart with the dolls um I just imagine how effective that would have been in stop motion. Uh, And like, so like you were saying, bringing that into more live action elements and having it kind of collide. I think it's super interesting when films take creative risks like that and they just go in a completely different route. It's super effective sometimes. And it really drives home the point that this story is trying to make. Um, So I really do think that like you can, and there is certainly an opportunity for more and more animators and creatives and filmmakers to bring that into the live action fold. Um, That was going to be my answer. So I'm actually glad that you brought that up uh, because I thought I was crazy and I thought I was the only one who liked that. 
or like for a dream sequence or something like there is so much utility for it that i feel like i don't know hopefully with with more of these projects and pinocchio which i'm so 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 excited for pinocchio i actually so i misread the information and i thought the night it was like premiering at the london film festival was actually when it was releasing on netflix and i like cleared my schedule for that night it was really sad so i'm i'm very excited to see when it actually releases yeah uh, also like let's keep in mind too that like um it's something we didn't talk about but um when you're like thinking about how profitable stop motion is marcel the shell with shoes on literally grossed over six million dollars so like you make this little tiny budget you know a hundred you know even a million i was gonna say like a hundred thousand two hundred thousand but even a million right. Uh, your if you have a story to tell and you have the right platform, like it is profitable to some degree as well. Right. Well, so. and I think too with like everyone with is so like chronically online and and stuff like that. Like maybe we're all growing a little bit like VFX weary. So like when you see something handcrafted like that or like Wendell and Wild, like I don't know, there there's a hunger for it, and I hope more people rise to that challenge. Yeah. Well. Uh, it was fascinating to talk Wendell and Wild and stop motion with you. Thank you so much for coming on this week, and uh, we'll hope to see you next week. Thanks, Megan. Thank you, Jared. Feel better. Save that voice. I know. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> I know at this point you've heard a lot about our website, theburrreviews.com, but I wanted to share some of the content that you can expect from us in case you missed it. On our site, you'll find podcasts, movie reviews, opinion articles, feature content, and more covering all types of cinema. If you're looking for a review of your latest project, we got you covered. Simply search theburrreviews.com in your web browser and you'll find us. As a company currently residing in Nebraska, we know how hard it can be to get your message out to the world and we are there to help. Find our contact page on our website and fill out the form you'll be able to find a list of submission guidelines on the page, but note that not every submission will be accepted, mainly due to time restrictions, but we welcome all types of motion pictures, short films, and music videos. So what are you waiting for? Head over to the site now and check it out. The Burr Reviews, your movie refuge. We have a few notable releases this month. It is the start of the Oscar season, and so if you're looking to see Tar, Decision to Leave, The Banshees of Assurance, all of that will be available for you shortly. But let's talk about some of the bigger releases that we have in November of 2022. Obviously, Enola Holmes 2 comes back on November 4th on Netflix, Millie Bobby Brown reprising her role as Enola Holmes, and it will also star Henry Cavill. You have the Weird Al Yankovic story on November 4th, streaming exclusively on the Roku channel. Daniel Radcliffe dons the curls and an accordion in the movie, directed by Eric Apple. The music and comedic biopic gives the origin story of Weird Al, the songwriter and musician known for parodying popular songs in the zeitgeist. In theaters, November 11th, we have Black Panther Wakanda Forever. The final film in Phase 4 of the MCU is here. Ryan Coogler is back to direct. The sequel explores the Wakandan way of life after the passing of their leader and introduces us to Namor, an underwater threat who's peeking his head above sea level. The movie will also star Angela Bassett, Danai Guerrera, Lupita Nyong'o, Letitia Wright, Winston Duke, and Martin Freeman. 
Florian Zeller, the director and co-writer of the Oscar-winning film The Father, returns to the world of complicated family dynamics with a prequel called The Son. Based on Zeller's play, the family drama follows Peter, Hugh Jackman, the son of Anthony Hopkins' character in The Father, who is consumed by work and raising his new baby with his wife. Streaming on HBO Max November 17th, he's back. Star of the 1983 movie A Christmas Story, Peter Billingsley reprises his role of Ralphie Parker nearly 40 years later for the HBO Max sequel, A Christmas Story Christmas. Now an adult, Ralphie returns to his childhood home with his family and children for a special Christmas and reconnects with some of the people from his past in the process. And then the final two things on the list uh, that I really want to point out here, on November 23rd in select theaters and December 23rd on Netflix, we get a look closer inside that donut hole with Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, a follow-up to Ryan Johnson's 2019 Oscar-nominated whodunit Knives Out. The one and only Benoit Planck, Daniel Craig, heads to Greece to unravel his latest metaphor-fueled mystery. It includes a cast that is so good, you guys. Katherine Hahn, Edward Norton, Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista, Leslie Odom Jr., Janelle Monet, and Jessica Henwick. Finally, November 24th on Disney+, Plus, we have Disenchanted. It's a sequel to 2007's Enchanted, and it just looks like so much fun. You should go check out the trailer now. That'll be streaming on Disney+. Plus. For video games, there is quite a lot. It's not as broke-tobery as I would have expected coming out of October, where we didn't really have too many games release. We have some heavy hitters this month. God of War Ragnarok, which is going to be exclusively on the PlayStation platform, comes out on November 9th. Then we also have Call of Duty Warzone 2.0 on November 16th, and Goat Simulator 3 on November 17th. Two things that I know a lot of people are actually going to really want uh, to take part in. And then also we have Dark Pictures Anthology returning again with The Devil and Me, which is out on November 18th. For TV shows this weekend that you can watch on streaming, starting November 3rd, we have Blockbuster. This Vanessa Ramos-created series looks at life inside the last operating Blockbuster and the staffers who work there every day. And y'all, what a way to kick off the TV season here in November. Um, I'm really excited for Blockbuster, actually. I've been looking forward to it since it was announced. Later in the month on Prime Video, November 11th, we have The English. Writer-director Hugo Blake returns to TV after Black Earth Rising and The Honorable Woman with another limited series set in an uncertain world. This time, the canvas is the American Midwest in the early 1890s, with a British woman played by Emily Blunt and a Pawnee former Union officer, Chasky Spencer, making their way across forbidden terrain on a mission for retribution on the other side of the country. Tulsa King is premiering November 13th on Paramount+. Plus. It's an ever-expanding Taylor Sheridan TV empire, getting another non-Yellowstone entry. Joining the fray is this story of an ex-New York mafia man played by Sylvester Stallone looking to regrow a criminal enterprise while exiled in Oklahoma. Wednesday, the latest chapter in the Greater Adams Family Saga is streaming on November 23rd, you can find that on Netflix. It centers on a young Wednesday Adams played by Jenna Ortega as she tries to survive high school and solve a lingering family-related mystery at the same time. Tim Burton directs the first half of the season, and we all know what's coming next. I had to put this on the list for Ren. Criminal Minds Evolution starts streaming on Paramount Plus November 24th. After just a two-year break, 
the long-running CBS primetime mainstay is continuing with a new subtitle and on a new home. It will bring back most of the main cast from the original series, and longtime showrunner Erica Messer is back in the same old role and wrote the season's premiere episode. And of course, we'll give you our recommendations every week here still, so stay tuned for those if you want a more comprehensive list as to what's going to come in the month of November. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Into the Borough podcast here on the Borough Reviews Network. Make sure to share this on whatever podcast platform you get your podcast from. It greatly helps the show if you download, so please consider doing that as well. Uh, If you know anyone who likes entertainment news, who likes movies, film, TV, games, all of it, share it with your friends. Um, I highly encourage it, and it greatly helps the show. Uh, We try and run a pretty straightforward grassroots campaign here, and so I want to be able to keep bringing you guys the content ad-free. Obviously, we have ad breaks in the podcast, but it's just me talking. Ignore them if you'd like. Um, And consider joining the Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash Reviews. A multitude of different tiers over there, so you can kind of choose where to sign up and what you want to contribute monthly, but they do come with some pretty cool perks. Uh, Coming up in the future here, we're going to have a few reviews come out this month. Uh, I can tell you that Reddit Stories will indeed release. Um, (laughs) Slowly but surely, it'll come out here, and uh, I can't wait for you all to see what we have planned for the month of November and December. There's going to be a lot of cool things, a lot of unique content coming out of it. Uh, October was crazy. We were busy all the time, so I'm surprised that we were able to get as much content out to you as we did. Uh, Nonetheless, I really appreciate all the support. Uh, from everyone here um, that listens to the show, that watches our YouTube videos, that reads our articles on the site. It really means a lot to me. So thank you everyone for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Into the Burrow podcast. Bye-bye.